As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hi, Seb. Hello, Joe Devine. How are you? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm fine. F- fine. <laughs> I'm fine. There's been a lot of football today, yeah, hasn't there? It's been quite tiring, yes. Yeah. Well, we're also joined by John McKenzie. Hi, John. Hello. How are you? Good, thanks. Lovely. We've watched lots of football today, uh, so we're going to discuss all of that, including uh, Argentina being stunned by Saudi Arabia. What an exciting... It was so long ago, though, it almost feels as if it was a different life. Uh, Australia, France, we'll talk a little bit about that. We've got a couple of nil-nils, Mexico, Poland and and Denmark, Tunisia to get to. And of course, there's some other news, non-World Cup related news, or I suppose kind of World Cup related news, depending on how you think about it. Ronaldo, no longer a Manchester United player, and apparently Manchester United for sale. So just a normal day here. (laughs) Not loads to discuss on a plan. I think those nil-nils might get edged out of the plan. They might just do so. Let's see how we go. Um, And of course, we'll round things off with points are bad, with, I'm hoping, an exciting musical number. Hey, And if you like exciting musical numbers, then you should visit The Athletic, because whilst you might think The Athletic is only a place for the highest quality football and sports journalism uh, given to you by some of the best sports journalists in the world, it also doesn't include actually any musical. uh, It has a great rhythm. It has a great rhythm. Mm. It's got a fantastic timbre. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It has a good tenor about it. Other musical words? Yeah. No. No. I can't think of any musical words. I'm sorry. No, it is okay. trebly as good as any other sports coverage. Oh. <laughs> I think we've reached. <laughs> That's a base. Anyway, visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO to get what he said you would get. And I believe at the moment you can get that for one pound per month for six months. So now's the best time to, to dive in. Someone coughed outside there? Yeah. Great. I will leave you now in the warm hands and the cool embrace of the person who was coughing outside of the room. Where else to begin than with Argentina 1 to Saudi Arabia? Uh, Now, John, I think we should talk about first what the Saudis did well. Uh, Because, I mean, we noticed, Seb and I watched this game at home before we arrived this morning. 
And uh, it was, in fact, I think it was the, not watching it here enabled us to concentrate a bit more. And we spent five minutes, a good five minutes, talking to each other about the high line, but mainly just saying high line, high line over and over again. Could you explain some of this to me, please? Yeah, I mean, you guys watched it and Seb, I believe, ruined perhaps the iconic moment of That's this true. World Cup. He jumped up when uh, Saudi Arabia scored their second goal and then he sat back down on the controller and turned the TV off. And then you took the controllers away from me. I did. Like I was a child. Yeah, yeah. I confiscated yeah. them from yes, you. you and yeah. you are not allowed to have them for the yeah. remainder of your stay in my home. Yeah. 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 I do want to talk about the iconic goal in a little bit more detail, but we can do that later, can't we? Um, but let's talk a little bit about what it was that Saudi Arabia did. So we need to talk about mid-blocks. You know what a mid-block is, don't you? Tell me again. So I do know. Of course I know. Oh, okay. But tell me just so the, the people watching know. So essentially, when you're playing international football, you don't have a huge amount of time to prep your off-ball stuff. So what a lot of teams will do is they'll play a really basic structure. So on the board in front of me, I've got a 4-4-2 here, uh, Saudi Arabia and a 4-4-2. Yeah. Everyone knows the relationships between themselves and their teammates, so it's very easy to set up in this sort of system. And what they will ge generally do is, is sort of sit and allow the opposition to have the ball until they arrive somewhere around the halfway line and then they'll start engaging. So the general idea is that you, uh, you don't waste a huge amount of effort going forward. Um, you also are going to stay compact in the middle, stop them from being able to get through the middle, because obviously if you go through the middle, then you arrive at the goal. And what you will end up doing then is seeding a lot of space in these wide areas here. Mm. And so what you'll tend to see teams doing, which we talk a lot about horseshoeing in international football. So you'll see oppositions just accepting this space. Um, you get your strikers in. Oop, I did not mean to do that. Uh, your for, for the listeners, John is actually uh, showing something on, on the board. Now, hopefully you'll be able to follow along listening to this. But if you want to, to, to join us, we're live streaming on YouTube in the evening where you can see what's happening on the on the board as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, consider joining us on, on YouTube. Again. Yeah, so you can see here now we've got the block, the 442 block. You've got your strikers on the line of the defenders. So mm. almost on the edge of that b block, if we consider it a whole unit. Mm. And then you've only got like a couple of players in the middle. So what's what's happening is the opposition is saying, okay, we're not going to try and go through the middle. We're going to go round, round, round the edges. Uh, and, and then you try and get the ball into these sorts of spaces and then often work it in, into the middle. Which is why often when a team faces a middle or a low block, then they drive down the wings, they try to put crosses in. And if you've got, you know, bigger, taller players who are stronger in the air, it yeah. becomes sort of almost impossible to score a goal, right? Mm. Yeah. So it's the Rafa Benitez quote of, you know, the, the, the blanket is only so big. So if you're pulling the blanket over your head, your feet are going to be cold. If yeah. you keep your feet warm, your head's going to be cold. Tell me about it. Duvets were not built for me. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am also really tall. Sure. Um, then the general idea then is you're saying, okay, we're going to allow you a certain amount of space in the wide areas, but we're going to prep for it, as you say. Um, now, a lot of teams have been playing this way in the World Cup so far, but actually Saudi Arabia did something slightly different. As you've mentioned, the first thing they did was they played a higher line. So um, what this does is it forces the opposition to play, obviously, in a, in a deeper situation. So let's push everyone back. This is really great audio their line was so high that i mean at times it seemed like the defensive line was they could touch their midfielders i mean it was they were virtually at the halfway line weren't they it seemed like an ultra aggressive thing for a team that you would expect to to sit deeper to do it was actually quite interesting to 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 read and listen to people kind of mocking it in the beginning we were following along on twitter as well as watching it and people were kind of pointing and laughing at the high line almost the point where it was sort of inviting all these fantastic argentinian players to do their worst right playmaker messi see if you can hit that space behind mm. our back four um and it, it, was, it was fun because it sort of revealed itself the value of it revealed itself over the course of the game which i'm sure john is about to show us how 
Yeah. So obviously when you're playing a high line, as you said, you are allowing this space in behind. And mm. the, the, the general idea for the opposition then is that, that they can exploit that space. But obviously by pushing your back line forward, you're compacting the sort of space that the opposition are working in as well. So the idea then is that by pushing forward, you can then be a little bit more aggressive in the press. So again, it's another blanket moment, right? So you're saying, okay, you can get in behind us, but we're going to be able to be more aggressive to your ball players in, in the build-up phase as well. And actually what happened in the second half is that uh, Hervé Reynard, who's the, the Saudi Arabian manager, forced his team even more aggressively forward because he felt as though they were playing into that space quite a lot so that was the first thing that they did it was quite different from uh, a lot of low uh, mid blocks that you'll see in this mm. tournament um the other thing was they were uh, it, it allows them to be more aggressive then so rather than being passive or letting the opposition get into those wide areas and exploit them yeah it's just a little bit more punchy can i ask a quick question though you when can. you leave all this space i would have thought if you if you have a team of defenders who presumably are not as good at football as messi that you would worry that messi would just run into that space and score do you think there was a consideration at all on Saudi Arabia's part that Argentina's front line um, is not the youngest, is it? Yeah, and there's a lot of players in that team who are very much ball-to-feet players, you would call them, rather than players who can get in behind. And you'll have seen in the second half, uh, um, Julian Alvarez was brought on, who's a little bit more of an in-behind player. Yeah. So um, there's a sense in which Reynard was like, okay, this is the way that they want to play. We're just, we're just going to make it harder for them to, to earn those goals. Um, the other thing that they did quickly is that actually... Um, they were very, very aggressive in the wide areas going man for man. Mm -hmm. So you've got matchups here with the fullbacks and the wide players and then matchups here with the, the opposition fullbacks and the, and the um, more advanced Saudi Arabian players. And actually what happens, so Papu Gomez would come across, make it quite narrow to allow space for Talia Figo to get forward. And Firas here was just dropping really, really deep. So at times it looked like they were playing a back five mm. and, and, and a really sort of um, asymmetric formation. Yeah. But what this was doing again is that Yes, they were seeding space in those wide areas, but they were saying, you're going to have space in that wide areas, but we're going to make it hard for you to build up in those areas too. Uh, because obviously everyone pushes into this final line. You've got, sometimes Paredes will drop out here um, to, to help in the build-up, and you've just got a singular player in the middle here. And so what they're saying is, you can go in the wide areas, you're not going to get through the middle. Um, we're going to go really tight on in, in, in those wide areas, stop the build-up and make, make it much harder for you to actually get those balls in. Um, so yeah, very, very clear plan. Max and, Guerra in the chat saying uh, Bielsa was right all along. <laughs> yes. Um, Marcelo Bielsa uses a very aggressive form of man-to-man -man marking and um, a lot of Leeds fans are a little less convinced by that kind of approach. But it's, it's a risk, right? Because when you go tight player to player, you're essentially allowing um, the the opponents to pull you around. So this is a really interesting thing that, that Messi does. Obviously Messi drops into space, right? So let's say there's a bit of space in here, he drops in. The centre backs were very, very aggressive tracking him, but that leaves. So they would put, they would push up and try to defend. Yeah, him. exactly. So he's he's dropping out. They would push up with him. But what would happen in those instances is one of the centre midfielders would drop in to block that hole yeah. as well. Because what you're trying to do then is is move around, generate spaces that can be attacked. And and the the Saudi Arabian players are really good at plugging those holes. This is quite a complex defensive or off ball plan for an international team. I mean, am, am I am I giving them too much credit by saying that I wouldn't expect to normally see this at an international tournament, or am I? Not giving them enough credit. Well, we started off by saying, you know, the 4-4-2 shape is a very simple shape. You know what you're doing. Also, if you're going to track players in the wide areas, you know who your, your man is. Mm. Again, this is a real a reason why you might use this sort of system because conceptually it's quite simple, even if it ends up being quite complex. Um, the only complexity that you've got really here is that if if this hole is being opened up, you're expecting one of the centre midfielders to drop in. But yeah, um, yeah I think it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting approach because... 
as I said, a lot of teams are doing this mid-block approach and seeding space in the wide areas, but they're usually quite passive in those areas. Yeah. And this has given you a, given a fairly good indication that you can, out of possession, be quite aggressive in those areas and stop the opposition from generating many chances at all. Yeah. A couple of people in the chat helpfully pointing out that um, not only are uh, many of the uh, the Saudi Arabia team from the same domestic team, but also that the league uh, stopped a month ago. So uh, it, do you think... This is a, a good, strong argument for... I remember when England, for example, had, um, Seb, a lot of Tottenham players in the team about yes. five years ago. And those, t- those those players seem to meld together a bit better uh, than they did, you know, when you just shove a bunch of players from different clubs in. But so they this were could still be the rubbish because they, they were from Yeah, sure. <laughs> they were still rubbish. Um, can you, do you think this is quite a good argument for, um, for, for thinking about team cohesion over maybe individual qualities? You could probably argue it both ways because you could say sort of, obviously every football team is based on little combinations across the pitch and understandings and cohesion and chemistry. At the same time, if you take those combinations and you place them within the context, sorry, John, of a, stealing of a, my thing of then. a different of taking a thing you're not allowed any con- no, everything no, you say has it, to I'm be taking it. No, completely decontextual yeah, check your contract that's exactly <laughs> what, what happens now um, it it depends on how they're being utilised if you ask somebody for instance if, if Eric Dyer was to play in this team and you were to drop him into the middle of a three centre back system that suits him because that's the way he's been playing mm. if you ask him to play within a back four different different challenge altogether so I, I think you can go either way with that um, one thing I, I wanted to ask John actually though is what difference does the Gio absence make? Because that's a partnership. His partnership with Messi, and obviously he's a very different sort of player to Papi Gomez, um, both in, in, in terms of kind of his style of play, but also his tendencies and his movement. How did that change things today? And how might that have made it a little Seb bit easier? Seb Stafford-Bloor jumping ahead of the plan once ah, again. It, hey, it, what can you, how, how can you, you can't help yourself, can you? Look, didn't we talk about this before we started? Well, I, I took care to delicately go through the plan with you to say this is where this bit happens and this is where that bit happens and what have you done? I My curiosity got the better of me. No, it is a good question. I want question. to come back to find that He's out. He's just angling for your job, you know? I know. This is all part of him becoming the... Hey, listen. The just He's moved into you, my home. Hang on. Hang we on. hugged <laughs> at the beginning of this episode to dispel to dispel all of the vicious and rumors. now that we don't I'm like trying to disrupt yeah. this newfound, you know... Uh, Do you know he's I, taken one of my pillows? He doesn't know this. But I normally have a sort of, I have a particular, no, I have a particular pillow arrangement uh, for for maximum comfort at home when I'm sleeping. I'm a weird guy. Anyway, uh, because we didn't have enough pillows, I had to give him one of my pillows. And now I have not enough pillows. This morning before we left, he scolded me for not turning the extract fan off in the bathroom. That is true. Yeah. That's a, a drain on the electricity in this, in this. So for my day began with being shouted at. And then seeing him hug you. Mm. Is it any wonder now that I'm, I'm, I've become a, a disruptor? There's a podcast? certain amount of toxicity and it has to come out in one direction. <laughs> okay. I'm just siding with Joe, you know, you've just got to take a good thing when it comes. Listen, anyway, uh, we will come back to that yeah. question about Los Elso because that, that's an interesting one. But before we do that, uh, I want to hear from a friend of the podcast, athletic uh, writer James Horncastle, who's out in Doha at the moment and very kindly sent us a message earlier. He was in the stadium to watch this game, which I imagine would have been a, like an amazing uh, scene to see. And the first thing that, that I asked him to speak about was the uh, the cheer from the Saudi fans. I mean, it, it seemed from watching the broadcast the, the loudest, you know. Definitely. And you know what, I have conspiracies about how loud stadiums are. It's very confusing for mm. people when yes. I say these things. But uh, <laughs> watching the TV, that, that one seemed like the, um, the loudest so far. So we asked him about that. Um, I believe we're going to hear from Mr. Horncastle now. Mr. Divine, how are you? I bring tidings from Argentina, Saudi Arabia, in Lucille, one of the great World Cup shocks. 
uh, I think one of the things that really stood out for me was how the Saudi fans, thousands of them crossed the border from Saudi into Qatar, made a real difference at the beginning of the second half. They weren't expecting a goal from Saudi. And when it came, they were a real factor in generating the momentum needed, you know, even over a short spell of five minutes for Saudi to score again and to really unsettle and unnerve some of the Argentina players. And I think why that is important is because there are a number of Argentina players who were in the team today who have recently come back from injury. They've spent a month out, six weeks out. They looked a little bit rusty. Not so rusty that it excuses them losing the game. But in moments, we saw Christian Romero, for example, a bit tentative on Saudi's equaliser. Romero hasn't played since that defeat to Manchester United for Tottenham uh, at the end of October. Um, you look at Angel Di Maria, Leandro Paredes, who have not played all that much for Juventus um, because they've had the World Cup on their minds. So much so that you know the local press pack in Turin uh, like to quip that Leandro Paredes and Di Maria are Argentina players on loan at Juventus. Um, so I think you know, the kind of readiness of the squad uh, going into this game uh, was a concern for Lionel Scaloni. Uh, he already sport, talked about small problems that were preoccupying him whilst they were in pre-World Cup training in uh, the United Arab Emirates a week ago. Um, and so doubts have set in. But saying that, if you look at the XG, if you look at the goal line clearances, if you look at how Saudi celebrated some of their tackles, um, Argentina did enough to win this game. So I'm not prepared to write them off just yet. Well, thank you for James Horncastle there. Lovely to hear from James. And uh, Seb, what do you make of that? Yeah, very interesting. Always nice to hear from James Horncastle. Has a lovely voice. Um, I wanted to pick up on a point he made about Christian Romero because that absence from the Tottenham first team has been a little bit of a controversy amongst Spurs fans because um, I don't think it's a secret that obviously, um, like a lot of other Argentinian players, his focus has been on the World Cup and um, being at the peak of his form and fitness for Messi, what was expected to be Messi's last last go at the trophy and the irony of it was that if he's match sharp I think the first goal doesn't happen the first Saudi Arabian goal doesn't happen because mm. Romero is a really good um proactive aggressive defender and he's kind of caught in his heels which is really unusual to see and it, it looked like a player coming back from injury someone who hasn't played for a while someone who's a little bit tentative um, so, yes, maybe could have done with a few more Tottenham appearances before this World Cup. Yeah, for sure. Well, John, <laughs> uh, let's talk about Argentina now, bearing in mind Sam's question about Lo Celso, uh, who missed the game from before. Are they bad? Because they, they won a lot of games, but they certainly looked bad in this game. Yeah, James mentioned that if you look at the expected goals numbers, the, they were very good. They generated, I think, according to Opta 2.2 expected goals, including a penalty, which bumps it. But that's plenty enough to, to score more than one yeah and yeah they conceded 0.14 expected goals which was mad so Saudi Arabia had three shots in about a five minute spell I think um, one of them was the first goal the second one was a shot that was deflected um, back up into the air down to Salam al-Dasari and he scored from that that was their, their three shots yeah um, that's not a sort of return on investment that you would expect from from those sorts of things so i made a point in the video that i did for t4 irl which everyone should go and watch um that 
yeah, they, you need a, a degree of luck to 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 beat a team like Argentina when you're a team like Saudi Arabia. That said, they could have been better. Can I ask you a question now, though? Because I, I often hear people saying <clears throat> single game XG is not that useful, right? And of course, over the course of a league season, when we have 38 games in the Premier League, as an example, more often than not, or over a couple of seasons, you know, those sorts of uh, numbers will balance out. But in tournament football, how useful is it for us to to think about to use that as a statistic or then talk about luck for example because this, this is the sort of thing that happens when it's a one-off game right yeah i mean if it was 2.2 expected goals for argentina and i don't know 1.8 expected goals for um for saudi arabia then you might look at that and say oh you know they they might feel hard done by but there's obviously a lot more context that needs to be taken into account <laughs> there so they were playing a high line there was a few chances that that could have been deemed to be onside so Lautaro and Martinez scored a goal which was very very close to yeah. being I mean it was shirt sleeve and no one quite knows what the definition of a of of off of a part of the body that you can score with from um so that could have been allowed in which case that would again bump their, their expected goals up again um yeah. so single game expected goal numbers are not particularly useful because when you watch the game you can have a fairly good idea of of, of what was happening anyway um, the reason yeah. why we aggregate them is because it obviously eradicates noise over time, gives us a better sense of how teams are performing, and it takes into account the fact that, you know, yeah. variance occurs. Some teams don't generate chances when they could generate dangerous chances and, and vice versa. We talked about the offsides as well. It's because um, in five games' time, Argentina might lose, you know, in a, in a way that didn't seem so unlucky. Sure, and sure. I will look back at the results and go, oh, well, they lost that one without yeah. remembering how unlucky they were. Equally, though, 2.2 expected goals for against 0.14 expected goals against is pretty unlucky to, yeah. to lose to. So. Yeah, that's quite a big differential, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Please don't make me say long words again. Okay, Thanks. no problem. What did you make of them, Seb? Well, Saudi Arabia? Yeah. No, 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 no. Um, uh, Argentina. I mean, because they came into this tournament as, as, you know, like amongst yeah. the favourites, right? Yeah, certainly amongst my favourites. I I was a little bit disappointed with the lack of aggression. So it felt, and this has kind of been confirmed by reports of what was said to the Saudi Arabian team at half time. They came out and they were very, very aggressive in the tackle. They were really proactive. They were... There's clearly a determination not to be awed by the reputations around them. And it felt like, oh, it seems not, not, not to kind of um, diminish the achievement and reduce it to kind of a physical battle, but it felt like that caused some sort of shrinkage amongst the Argentinian players. And it was, um, yeah, it was the kind of thing you don't expect to see because if you're Argentina and you have all these gifted players and you have uh, all these advantages, then you've got to expect that kind of challenge in return because that's the, that's the balancing factor usually, mm. you know? Um, so I was really disappointed. I'm not worried about them. I, I think I, I agree with James Horncastle in the sense that they're very gifted. And also, listen, uh, you know, in 1990, Argentina lost to Cameroon, uh, a Cameroon team that had been reduced to nine players and then went on to, to reach the, the final. Uh, Spain famously um, lost to Switzerland in one of their first games. This kind of thing happens. And also, you would still expect Argentina to progress quite easily from the group, two very mm. winnable games for them. Um, but I was, yeah, I, I, I found it... I found it troubling how how easy they were to subdue, I think, I because whatever the expected goals suggest, I know the Saudi Arabian keeper, who, by the way, is actually second choice for his club team. Wow. Found that out. That's yeah. an amazing thing. He's a man of the match today, and he, he played very well. At the same time, it wasn't quite as back to the wall as you'd expect this to be, because we were watching it, and when um, Aldasari scored his goal, I think there was still about 32 minutes left, plus, you know, the inevitable 
hour of, of injury time that, that these World Cups come with. Yeah. And so there's just no way. And it never materialized. It never became, um, you never really saw the Saudi Arabians with 10 players inside their own box, for instance, or, um, you know, uh, the Argentinians peppering the goal with shots. It never really, it was never really reduced to that kind of dynamic. Sure. Um, Do you know what there was a lot of, though? Tell me. There was a lot of offsides. Weren't there, th- yeah. was there three offside goals or yeah. two? Yeah. Was it three? Um, semi-automated offsides. It fe- I mean, we've seen it already in the tournament so far, but it felt like the best opportunity to really take a re- regular and repeated up-close look at those uh, offsides there. You, you one of them was just a, a bit of a shoulder. Yeah, that one's a little bit silly. It reminds me of, um, do you remember the children's program that used to be on ITV called Nightmare in the very early 90s? Nightmare? Spelt with a K, as in night, as in of oh, the realm, right. and mare, as in nightmare, as no. in, you know, the one that causes you to scream through the middle of the night. Yes, I don't remember that. That's been an unwelcome thing to discover that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's the graphics. It's all very kind of um, 16-bit. Dell but, says nightmare greatest of all time in the chat. Absolutely, so Somebody Dale. remembers. Absolutely, Dale. Google yeah. it if you haven't seen it. Uh-huh. Uh, I wanted to go on that program when I was young. You could kind of... There we go. Different video. Look, we're revealing um, the age of our chat here. Yeah. What are yeah. all these 30 to 40 year olds doing watching <laughs> yes, us now? Late on a Tuesday night. Don't you have, what, other things to do? Carry on. Uh, yeah, I, the second one, the, um, the La Torre Martinez goal that got ruled out, I, I, no matter how clear the semi-automated offside uh, um, graphic is, I still don't, it's just silly. It's just the margin of error. The whole of the European season has been based on this idea that um, the margin of error has been broadened. The, the offside line itself has been thickened to take away the kind of the toenail offsides which antagonize so many people after mm. the introduction of VAR. And that seemed like one of the ones we'd see two years ago. Sure. Very, very strange. Sure. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, I thought Saudi Arabia deserved it. I, I thought there was, I mean, among other strange things in the kind of the uh, the the punditry studio at halftime between Graham Sinis and Roy Keane, I thought one of the things that was spot on was just there was just no, the attitude amongst the Argentinian players was entirely wrong. Mm. Um, they didn't look like a side that had gone, I don't know, 36, 35 games unbeaten under Scaloni, yeah. you know, who are the South American champions. It, it, was, um, it was very, very strange. Okay. Well, I can confirm updates from the chat tell us that uh, people do not have anything else to do. And in fact, there's a, nightmare. a couple of divorced people in the chat. So, you know, can I, <laughs> bouncing can I, back. Can I introduce... Second a, go. May I introduce a non-nightmare-related fact? Please do. Okay, so um, I haven't thought about Salem uh, Aldasari for a long time. Um, since he was part of a... Um, how do you describe it? A kind of a, a technical exchange between the Saudi Arabian Football Association and La Liga. Yeah. So about three years ago, they sent over... You're the kind of person who would be thinking about him then as well, wouldn't you? I, I, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, because it was interesting. They they loaned nine players uh, over to various Spanish football clubs at different levels of the game for six months. Um, Aldasari was then thought of as a, a very talented, but a little bit wayward um, in terms of his personality. He was, a, he was kind of a not wild, but he, he wasn't quite disciplined enough um, when he was a young player. He got, got himself into a bit of trouble. Um, and he, he ended up playing, I think, one game for Villarreal. But it was part of um, this kind of collaboration and kind of technical exchange and they were scouting and the kind of um, recruitment programs. Um, and also, of course, um, Saudi Arabia is now home of the Spanish Super Cup. Mm. Um, and that was something to do with uh, Gerard Piquet's company, Cosmos. There we go. Um, so very, very interesting stuff. But... Um, 
Yeah, a, uh, I think he's 31 now, Aldessari. Yeah. Um, never really made an impression in Spain beyond that one appearance, Villarreal. Yeah. But yeah, um, highlight of his career. Good to know, though, yeah. that because you were reading about that 12 yeah. years ago, you mm-hmm. could finally use that piece of information on a live stream. I have been waiting a long time for that. Well, let's, not really. Let's it use was another, three years ago. Let's I mean, use another piece of information. Yeah. Now, because uh, Messi yes. has a deal with yes. uh, Saudi Arabia, doesn't he? And that might uh, present uh, a bit of a confusing conflict when it comes to the 2030 World Cup, which uh, Saudi Arabia, are, I believe, are bidding for, and also Argentina. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, so um, worth creating a distinction here. Um, Messi's deal is with the Saudi Arabian Tourism Board. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when the... Um, so Argentina's bid is is part of a collaborative effort with Uruguay in South America, and he was part of this sort of... I wouldn't say promotion, but the kind of announcement. There's this picture of him with Luis Suarez, um, you know, one with 20 on his back, the other with 30. So they, you know, signaling the intention to bid mm. for it. Um, there's In no 30-20. 30-20, yeah. 20-30. They, get, they like to prepare early in I South mean, America. That would be, a you know, some real real foresight, yeah. advanced planning for that World Cup. Um, so, yeah, but there's not necessarily any overlap, but obviously he has this deal with Saudi Arabia, which he's been heavily criticized for. Um but uh, yeah, it remains to be seen how those two things work themselves out, how there's kind of a reconciliation between what he is inevitably asked to do for an Argentinian bid, because it's Lionel Messi, yeah. of course, um, versus his obligations for anything that happens as part of this. Um, the, these, Although it's not necessarily centered around the World Cup, this is part of a collection of events um, known as Vision 2030 in Saudi Arabia, and that includes um, things like the purchase of Premier League football clubs, the hosting of... Um, uh, high profile boxing bouts and, and that kind of thing um, live golf the mm. golf tournament which I don't fully understand because I don't know very much about golf but um, is uh, similar in theme involves a lot of money and a lot of the world's best players so the, all of these things are kind of um, directed towards that sort of 2030 program yeah. uh, not can we Cup, talk about the goal <clears throat> what which goal? one the goal the, the big goal. The big goal. The goal. Yeah. The one that I yeah. ruined by sitting on the controller. Oh, yeah. You want to talk about that goal? I just wanted to say that I think I don't talk enough about the emotional aspects of football, but I think that goal is already going to be contender for goal of the tournament. Why is that? Because I think it just hits a lot of notes, right? Yeah. So it's like a super emotional moment. Like it's it's the first upset of the tournament. It's also a, a goal which requires a huge amount of skill to actually get into a position to shoot yeah the finish is nice and yeah it's obviously so significant as a, as a goal that i think there's not going to be many uh, goals this tournament that actually can best it on all of those areas you were here in the office watching that game weren't you were um, you alone i was how did you respond to the goal when you were alone i just felt happy inside did you uh, emote or make any noise i think i probably did i am quite i am quite emotive you do make quite a lot of noises when yeah. you're watching football yeah, yeah. Mm. The contrast to Alex Stewart, who would sit there sort of studiously and silently yes. and would look up uh, and sort of flutter the eyelids only to acknowledge that the goal had occurred. Whereas you sort of dive out of your seat and you start, you know. If the team that I want to win scores, yeah. Sure. If not, I'm like, sorry, that was rubbish. Right, yeah. Ah, the human reaction. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I've had a lot of facts today. I also had one earlier. Did you know this? I had a fact earlier. Uh, and of course, that fact came from the Athletics Emergency Football Hotline. I'm not sure if either of you have heard about this. You have because sure I've have. told you both about it yes. and you know about it. But the listeners and the viewers may not have heard about it. Yeah, The Athletics Emergency Football Hotline will provide the latest news, statistics and tips on the World Cup uh, to call us throughout the tournament. And earlier, I gave the hotline a call to ask a question, a specific question 
about the, uh, the, the Saudi Arabia-Argentina result. And I believe we can hear that now. Hello, welcome to the Athletic Emergency Football Hotline. One of our football experts will be with you shortly. To help us answer your questions, please choose from one of the following. Sounds lovely. For team lineups, press 1. For form guides and statistics, press 2. Uh. For tactical insights, press 3. For breaking news, press 4. For training and marketing purposes, this call may be recorded. Oh, okay. It's good I'm going to go with 2. I was dancing at this point. This is very pleasant. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the Athletic Emergency Football Hotline. You're through to Callum. How can I help you? Hi, Callum. Uh, this is Joe. Um, I just wanted to find out. I watched the uh, the Saudi Arabia game this morning against Argentina, and uh, it seemed like a rather historical moment. I wondered if you could tell me about other historical fixtures that are surprising results from past World Cups. Uh, yeah, of course, Joe. We can definitely do that. World Cup 2010, uh, Switzerland beat Spain 1-0 in their opening fixture. Um, obviously, Spain then went on to galvanise and, uh, and eventually win the World Cup and the following European Championships as well. So I suppose that has some parallels with the Argentina-Saudi Arabia game today, given that Argentina are very much coming into this tournament as a, one of the favourites in a rich vein of form. And, and I suppose it remains to be seen whether they can sort of turn it around and, and also look to get that victory. Mm, how useful. Thanks very much, Callum. No problem. Uh, is there anything else I can ask you? No, I have, you I have no other <laughs> questions for you. Okay, cool. Um, just before you go, uh, am I able to... There's so much useful information to be found at the Athletics call-in hotline. So if you call 0800-433-433, you can find information too with lovely people like Callum. Uh, you should do that, actually. It's quite funny. Um, anyway, back to live, Joe. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. That was past Joe. This is present Joe, or past Joe, depending on when you're watching it. And uh, you know, that was fun, wasn't it? I can't believe you talked about pillows when we were off air. Yeah, I did when the, the mics were on. on it. I can't believe you didn't change your hoodie. Yeah. I mean, well, I did it earlier today. Ah, uh, there's so many clothes in the office. I, I mean, went to a different room to do that. Well. It looks the same as many of the other rooms. Anyway, let me tell you, the people at the Athletics Emergency Football Hotline are very, very kind indeed. And uh, they helped me today, although I did already know the answer to that one. But you can call it, and you should do so. For now, we are going to a break. When we come back, we will talk about other football games that have happened. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Australia won for France. Now, John, France, among the favourites uh, for this tournament, a bit of a stereotype about France, though, is that they, they play quite boring football under Didier Deschamps, uh, but they do win. Is this a slightly different, more interesting France? I mean, they did win, but was it more interesting? 
I think it's hard to say at this point what France are going to look like because I think Australia could be one of the worst teams in the tournament so far. Mm. So um, the I guess the the stereotype that we've we've always had with France is similar to what we were talking about before with respect to opposition teams mid blocking and sitting in a you know sitting in the central spaces and re- refusing any any space through there and and France being pretty happy to generally accept that um, and and sort of try and play around it and and score because they have much more talented players than everyone else and that's that's the situation pretty much uh, that, that is going to happen I think in this tournament to a certain extent but they just have so much talent yeah. at every level like uh, the, one of the things you'll hear people say is that France could have fielded three teams in this tournament and and they would all have been strong contenders to to actually challenge so um is the, that true yeah I, I mean in certain areas the third certainly. team uh, so we've got lots of defenders here. So we've got William Saliba here of Arsenal, Raphael Varane, who was touch and go for this tournament, Jules Koundé, who everyone knows from Barcelona, Presnel Kempembe, who is actually injured. So four centre-backs there, all of whom are elite centre-backs. So yeah. you've, you've already got like two teams worth of centre-backs there. Um, and then, yeah, elsewhere, players like uh, Lucas Hernandez, who went off injured today, um, Camavinga, obviously at Real Madrid, Guendouzi playing in France, Kingsley Coman, uh, Benzema. These are all players who would get into um into any team pretty much in this tournament um and this is just the players on on or around the squad um obviously there's there's plenty of depth elsewhere as well right what do you think about that Seb? yeah well i i wanted to talk a little bit about Livio Giroud too joe just because he equaled Thierry Henry's goal scoring record for his country this evening and um, I was listening to the great Flip Eclair on Guardian Football Weekly last week, and he was talking about sort of the mixed reaction to um, the expectation that Giroud would break the record back in mm. France and how, um, I suppose, uh, a player like Giroud taking a record from a player like Thierry Henry isn't the most popular thing in the world. But I thought this evening was a really good example of all the things that Giroud does well. He, why, why is it not popular? I don't know. I, I think Giroud is a little bit divisive because a lot of people possibly don't see just how gifted a footballer he is. Like, I mean, um, from as, probably from as early as people have been aware of him, he's been kind of um, miscast as a bit of a battering ram, whereas he's an incredibly nuanced technical player. who does He's got such, such a delicate touch. He's got a wonderful touch. And, and also um, a lot of things that he does sort of don't really get the attention they warrant. So for instance, <clears throat> for the first goal, when, okay, France run out tonight 4-1 winners, but when they're one down, that's not a great spot to be in against a, an Australian team who can sit deep. Uh, and if you watch the, the header from Rabiot, if you if you look at Giroud's positioning and his run and how he takes two defenders away from Rabiot in the build-up and allows that free header, it's kind of the, the sort of the essence of what he does off the ball. Um, and one of those things which, quite unfairly, he got maligned for in 2018 when France won the World Cup and he didn't score a goal. Mm. Um, it's sort of... It made him, people um, who remember the 98 World Cup will, will remember Stefan Givash, who famously kept getting picked, didn't score goals. He ended up coming to Newcastle, wasn't a particularly good player, but sort of he um, created this sort of idea of the facilitating forward or forward who doesn't score. Um, and Giroud isn't that. Like Giroud's done wonderful things everywhere he's been, like from when he won a title with Montpellier. Uh, he was very good for Arsenal. He was excellent for Chelsea. He's been fantastic for AC Milan, I think. Um and again, so uh, on, on top of his two goals tonight, he created a, a really nice chance for uh, Kylian Mbappe in the second half um, with that little sort of flick around the corner. Mm. And if you if you look at some of the players in that French team, so um, Dembele, Griezmann, Mbappe, 
uh, all three of them, um, although Griezmann was a little bit withdrawn tonight, all three of them can make runs into the penalty box. And to do that, for it to work properly, you need a pivot. And Drew is perfect at that. The sort of yeah. the way he sees that movement. So if you're if you're if you're imagining yourself as centre forward and the ball, you got your back to goal, the ball's coming to feet or coming to chest or head how quickly you've got to respond and how aware you've got to be of all the movement around you to make the right choice in that situation. Drew does it time and time again. He's yeah. an incredibly valuable player. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because Karen Benzema, another player in the, in, in the front squad, um, was also underappreciated, I think, until very recently. Um, yep. Obviously, the last sort of season or two has made it obvious what an incredible footballer he is. Um, but is it something about like... the? In his case, it, was, it seemed more that he was a player who maybe was outshone by other stars in the team. That yeah. He facilitated other players. But Giroud has been like an incredible ever-present. Yeah, I think the problem becomes, it's almost PR, isn't it? Because you're quite right with Benzema. Like Benzema's emergence came post-Ronaldo at Real Madrid. Um, actually, when, when Benzema first got to Real Madrid, when he moved there initially from France, he had a terrible crisis of confidence after he left Lyon and it looked like he wasn't going to survive being at Real Madrid mm. long before he became a kind of a foil for for Ronaldo and for, for Gareth Bale and players like that. Um, with Giroud, I think it's... It's always difficult. You're you're not just you're not following um, you're not just following a high volume scorer. You're following what many people would consider one of the players of his generation in Thierry Henry, someone who who did things which a lot of people hadn't seen before, particularly when he was playing for Arsenal. And so to come in and try and sell yourself as good goal scorer, but someone who does so much more, it's a really tough it's a really tough spot. Yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of it's also. That he's able to play well into his mid-30s is also a testament to just how many things he does well. Yeah. He's not reliant on dynamism. His goals are important, but they're not the sole, you know, they're, they're not the the only thing about his game. Um, he's not just pace. It's a whole package. And it's um it's mm. very, very impressive. And he's um, you know, I, I imagine he'll go on to break the record during this tournament. And um, yeah, um, he'll be he'll be worthy of it, absolutely. He's at Milan, isn't he, John? Yes. He is yes. at Milan and he's won them a lot games this season yeah. um goal late just on. before the world cup that yeah. falling volley oh it's just fabulous. yeah and he nearly did that again yeah. in the game today just an incredible scorer of incredible goals yep. um and i think had it not been for the fact that he's so injury prone we'd be talking about him as one of the best nines in the world but he's sort of gone a little bit below the radar in mm. that respect but this this france team has just a really incredible forward line so if I, i'll just I've, I've just drawn out here so they've got dembele and mbappe who both can play in this start out in these wide areas and stretch the back four mm. mbappe obviously loves to to run into in towards the goal in these sorts of areas he could also sort of play as a second striker here as well and actually when lucas hernandez went off teo hernandez's brother came on and actually arguably made them more dangerous he's a, a really really aggressive runner in in these sorts of areas as well um he plays for milan as well so he's got that match up with yeah. with uh, that dynamism with with Giroud as well uh, he can also invert quite dangerously as well but they've got Dembele on the other side again he can do the same things as, as Mbappe running in here but another thing that he loves to do see him doing it a lot for Barcelona at the moment is, is coming to these sorts of areas so when you've got someone yeah. like Olivier, Olivier Giroud running these the, the sort of routes that you'd expect a nine to do Dembele can can sit behind him and the, the ball will often end up in these sorts of areas and he'll be like there the, in space the D, as well. You mean? Yeah, the edge of the D, just in, just around the penalty penalty box as well. Obviously Griezmann as well can can sit in those sorts of areas, really creative player. And then they've got Rabiot Chiomeni doing a lot of the defensive work here, but Rabiot floating in this in this half space. He made that run for for the first goal as well. So mm. like a really nice mixture of of players here um, who I think will be creatively better than what we've seen from France in previous World Cups. Why doesn't Camavinga start? 
Um, Camavinga hasn't been used by Deschamps for whatever reason. Um, he's tended to pr- prefer, I think, Fafana as well, um, and as well as Rabiot over, uh, ahead of him. Why that's the case, I don't know, but I'm sure we'll see him at some point in this tournament. Oh, okay. And on Australia, maybe a bit better than, than expected, I wonder. I mean, they obviously scored first in this game, John. Um, do they have a chance against Denmark or Tunisia, do you think? I don't think so, no. I think, it, obviously, they scored a really great goal. Um, it was, a, you know, a really well-worked goal, a ball from Harry Sotar out into this, um, let me draw it on the board. His so, long passing was good, I thought. Yes, Sotar yeah. was really good. Out here to, I think it was Matthew Leckie, he gets the ball and then does Lucas Hernandez, who then gets injured, and then he plays this ball across the box and Goodwin comes at the back post and smashes it in. Um, a really well-worked, very direct goal. Um, and then they, you know, that was what their game plan would have been, get the, get the goal and then sit back on it, but they just couldn't sit back against, uh, the team as, as we've said that France have. So, uh, I think that, yeah, I think that Australia, as I've said, are probably the worst squad in this tournament. Um, or, well, it's, it's hard to start dotting I's and crossing T's with, with respect to who's worst, but I think that it's very difficult for them going forward because I think both Denmark and Tunisia will be will be tricky to, to break down for them. So Yeah. They don't have the individual stars. Like I obviously um Australia have never entered a World Cup as a favourite or anything like that. But previously they've been able to have a, a Mark Baduka, a Tim Cahill, those kind of players, a Harry Kuehl. Um and now it's kind of a it's a different kind of mood in that squad. I, I thought they played pretty well for about half an hour. Like I, I thought their movement uh, the, their ball movement in midfield was mm. pretty good. I thought Aaron Moy was quite um composed i was expecting something a little bit more um determined and rugged and direct i know the goal was a pretty direct move but i thought the kind of the way they sort of um they extricated themselves from their own defensive zones is pretty good for a while i, I think there'll be um i think there'll be a match for tunisia i mean denmark i still don't i didn't get a sense for what denmark are yet really like i had an expectation of what they might be but today that they didn't seem to be quite that so we'll see but i um well i mean that is denmark nil nil Tunisia. Yeah, should, we move, should we move on to it? Uh, I mean, I... you don't have to say anything, okay, Seb, because in the plan, as again, remember, we discussed this five minutes before we started. Yeah, and yeah that feels like a long time ago. It does yeah. feel like a long yeah. time ago. I'll yeah. forgive you. Thank you. Uh, Denmark nil, <clears throat> nil Tunisia. This game was, it was a little different from some of the other games that we've seen, John. Um, why? Yeah, so we've talked a lot in this show about teams mid-blocking and, and allowing What's space in wide... <laughs> in wide areas um do we need to go through that again no, no i'm joking do. okay yeah. cool um please don't and what's what that often means is that teams are, are quite happy to just sit with the ball in the back line play it around horseshoe it, as we've said get into these areas if they can generate a chance then they will if not they they won't bother um but actually what we saw in this game was two teams that were so most teams are happy to not go through the middle in this game i think both teams are quite happy to try and attack quite aggressively through the middle um they weren't too worried about um, necessarily protecting the middle. So what what would happen is that one team would would build up, they would make an attack, and then they would be a little bit open in the middle. So the opposition would then try and break through the the middle, and then the the team without the ball would have to win the ball back. Uh, and they and then as soon as they picked it up, they were quite happy to go. So there was, there was periods where it was passing it around the back, but then there was periods when it was almost like a basketball game. So one team would go forward, they would lose it. The other team would be like, oh, there's space now in the middle. Let's mm. go for that. Uh, and it made it, I think, a bit more of an exciting game. Yes, it um, sounds like it should have been the sort of thing that would have made it more fun. Yes, I think so. It was just uh, the, the the final quality wasn't there for both teams. Although, interestingly, I thought Tunisia um, did a good job of generating a, a couple of chances which were offside. But um, they, I think they were weirdly almost like the, the more dangerous of the two. 
Um, Would you say then, that in, in, given that Australia, we've already heard your thoughts on them, Denmark, Tunisia, this game was maybe the important one for second place in that group? I think so, yeah. I think it will be one of these two teams that, that finishes second. Um, what does your gut tell you? I think Denmark are the better team um, in terms of if, when you look at the players on paper. Um, but uh, yeah, look, anything can happen. Like Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia today. So um, I think both teams will have been happy with this result because it very much keeps them in the the, the race for the second place. And the, the question then will come down is who loses the least badly in, in the remaining game and, and who can, yeah, they're in the same group as France and Australia, aren't they? I quite like to see Jesper Lindstrom. I hope so. I, hope so. <laughs> I, I quite like to see Jesper Lindstrom in this yeah. Danish side. Like I, I, I really like watching him for Eintracht. I think he's, um his, his evolution um, as a player over the last 12 months has been amazing. And I think like, if you want a little bit more, it's the right word, um, probably attacking dynamism. It's a bit of a, 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 a trite remark, but um pick a form player like I like Damsgaard but Damsgaard hasn't probably played enough over the last 12 months for me um, so I'd like to see you know a way of incorporating him and I don't know um, I'd like to see what he, he would be able to do around players like Eriksen and Hoiberg um, and probably not Delaney because that looked like quite a serious injury we don't know as yet just whether that's the end of his tournament or not but it looked like it might be mm-hmm. um, and Lindstrom would be great and yeah we'll see speaking of injury yeah Harry Kane having a scan on his ankle, apparently. Yeah, Athletic reported that earlier um, this evening. Um, it's from um, David Ornstein, who says that, uh, yes, he, he's due to have a... He came out of yesterday's game against Iran with a, um, a small bandage around his ankle and with a bit of a limp through the mix zone. And he's due to go for a scan tomorrow. So we will, uh, I guess, find out how serious that is within the next 24 hours. Okay. Yeah, not great news. No. Given just how... Uh, fundamental he was to the creation of some of those England goals. That's he did create a number of them. Not hugely encouraging. Yeah. No. Okay, fine. Uh, well, the other game of the day was Mexico nil, nil Poland. And mm. I regret to inform you that we are not going to discuss that. <laughs> but we should because... say it was a good penalty save by Ochoa. Tell me he, again. Yes, he saved a penalty from Robert Lewandowski. Right. It was a very heavy <laughs> World Cup narrative, I think, because yeah. Lewandowski hasn't scored a World Cup goal, I don't think. Nope. And he had the opportunity to do so. And Ochoa, the Mexican keeper who becomes an incredible goalkeeper every four years at the World Cup, saved it. And so, yeah, really. There's, really um, there's a lovely video on, on social media of uh, it's a group of Mexican school children watching that penalty and celebrating Ochoa's uh, penalty save. It's great. Good, wholesome Twitter content. Nice. Okay. Yep. Well, listen, we're going to wait for both teams to play again, I think, before okay. we, before we uh, discuss them. So I'm sure we will be doing that probably over the weekend or early next week for now let's have a break and when we come back we're going to talk a little bit about Ronaldo and Manchester United which um, took up some of the the news stories of the day Cristiano Ronaldo no longer a Manchester United player seemed inevitable uh, since the moment that he uh, the, the, well the interview with Piers Morgan was uh, was broadcast um, unclear how that was going to come about um, but what has happened Seb? Yeah, so I spoke to David Ornstein earlier and they, Manchester United and Cristiano Ronaldo have mutually agreed to part ways. There's been um, no money uh, changing hands. It's, there's been no paying up contracts. They've just um, terminated his deal and he is uh, free to move on, I guess. Um, sounds like it was a yeah, mutual agreement and uh, yeah, strange little saga has ended. Yeah. Very, very strange. It is odd, isn't it? I mean, I, yeah. I, I suppose he's now a free agent during the middle of the World Cup. Portugal are going to play on Thursday, so I'm, I'm sure we'll be keen to see that. But John, for the time being, I just want to talk about Manchester United a little bit. It seems clear 
that they are better or they have been better this season without him in the team. So, I mean, you know, from a from perspective of both, I imagine both parties would be fairly happy with uh, the outcome mm-hmm. of this. Um, but for supporters of Manchester United, you would have thought that, I mean, this 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 isn't the sort of, um, you know, horror blow that it might have once been. No, and there's, I think, a couple of reasons why Cristiano Ronaldo hasn't fit into this team based on the the ideas that Eric Ten Hag is trying to instill in the team. So I think you can break them down into two areas, on the ball and off the ball, uh, the simple distinction like that. So let's start off by just having a look at what Cristiano Ronaldo has not, why he's not really worked in terms of the out possession stuff. So Eric Ten Hag is largely sort of playing uh, a, a possession based system, which is going to use those ideas we call positional play. So you're going to try, he's going to try and get his players into certain areas of the pitch. Um, where he can attack the space that is left open by like a back four. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo has played as a as a nine in this in this system, and I think the the stuff we've just been talking about with respect to Olivier Giroud is really interesting in, in this point because what Eric Ten Hag wants from his number nine is very much the the sort of thing we saw Olivier Giroud doing tonight for France. So uh, when, what, what we usually say when we talk about a player who's going to play in this sort of role is, is they, they need to be a good box presence. Um, so sit between the two centre-backs. If the ball's in wide areas and is being crossed in, you want to see the situation where Ronaldo can can win the header by mm. by getting direct to to the, the ball. But also there'll be certain situations where uh, the ball will come in from a cutback as well. And what you want in these sorts of situations is you want the number nine to make the probably the front post run here to to get the option. And then usually then there'll be someone coming in behind here to to make um, to make the if the ball is missed then or is cut back you can then uh, take the shot there. And so I think one of the big issues with Ronaldo is that he's never really played this kind of role particularly well. I think whenever he's played um, as a he's obviously a box presence in a very specific way and has done has been for his whole career. But generally, he's been coming in from wide, wider positions uh, and is almost like a second, secondary box runner. So usually there would be a, a striker ahead of him and he would find these secondary runs where he gets into these areas and then is the player picking up the, the ball in space as well. Um, as he's got ol- older as well, I think he's, he's now m- much less dangerous of a box presence as well. So that's the, that's the first area in terms of what, you, what Eric Ten Hag is wanting from his nine. He wants mm. someone who's going to score goals, who's going to be a pivot in that, in that forward three. Um, the other thing that he's going to want from his nine is he wants them to be able to be a, a, a presence in terms of the build-up stuff as well. So um, that is, if the ball's coming into him, he can then find these sorts of passes into to wide players. But also I think he, he is going to want a number nine who's a hold-up player. So when the ball comes in, he can stand up a... Uh, an opposition defender and then lay the ball off as well to, to someone else behind him as well. And he's not been really that dangerous in that sort of role at all. And I think as a result of this with Manchester United, not being necessarily great in possession all the time under Eric Ten Hag, what then tends to happen is you'll see Ronaldo drifting to pick the ball up because the progression isn't working. The possession system isn't working. And so he's had to, to get the ball, he's had to then drop deeper. And that means then you don't have that pivot player in, in the front line as well. So in possession, all kinds of issues there. Do you want me to talk about the out of possession stuff? I'd love you to. Yeah. Can you can you talk for a little bit while I delete? My, all my, this I mean, stuff? my expectation is that um, the in possession stuff is 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 well, in some ways less complicated, but it also less obvious. The out of possession stuff seems to be the thing that people have been discussing since the beginning of the season, and partly that is related to his age. I mean, that's not specific to him. You would not expect a player going into their late thirties to be able to 
make the same kind of sprints and run for the same kind of duration as you would expect a younger player to do. It's worth pointing out that Cristiano Ronaldo is extremely athletic. Yes. And therefore, in terms of how he compares to a younger player, I actually have no idea. But I think it's a fair expectation of a player in their late 30s that they that they wouldn't necessarily be able to do that or match the um, match the durability maybe of a, of a younger player. When it comes to the off-the-ball stuff at Manchester United, things have changed since Eric Ten Hag arrived. And the expectation of what the forwards do, John is, is it fair to say, a bit more complex than it would have been before? Yeah, for sure. And this all comes down to when we talk about elite managers wanting to control every phase of the game. Um, what they're going to want to do is is be able to force the opposition to do certain things that allows them to either win the ball back or um, cause the opposition to you know, um, move into an area where they can be controlled. Um, and so there's been certain games this season where Manchester United have looked really good and there's been some games where Manchester United haven't looked so good. And usually the, the difference is, is that the press is, is working or not. Um, and again, when to go back to the board then, with your with your number nine, you're just doing a very... It's not, and it's not even necessarily a very complex thing, but generally what happens is, is that you're going to determine which way the press is going to go. So if the ball goes one way, usually you're going to see uh, Ronaldo cl- firstly close this passing lane between these two players. So what you're doing then is you're saying okay, you've decided to play on this side of the pitch. So yeah. he closes that off and then puts pressure on. Uh, and the general idea then is that this will force the, the ball into this area. The centre-back has to pass it out to the full-back. Yeah, sorry. This, the centre-back has to pass it out to the full-back and then Rashford on this side will will put uh, the, put them under pressure. But the important thing is, is that they make this curved run here, which closes off the, the pass back to the other side, the centre-back on the other side, because yeah. what you're then doing is you're saying the right, the press is going to be constructed on one side of the pitch. And obviously the same thing happens the, the other way as well. So let's say the goalkeeper passes to the, 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 the um, left-sided centre-back in yeah. this instance, you will then expect him to make this, this run here or curve it in, close that passing lane off and then force the press that way. And the reason why that's important is because Manchester United are playing... Um, a hybrid press at times. And that means that a player like Anthony will be responsible for a player here, uh, uh, the the fullback, and then a central midfielder as well. So if the ball goes on one side, Anthony will pull onto the central midfielder, leaving the the fullback free. If Ronaldo doesn't close that pass down, that means the ball can come in here and then suddenly your press is is, is completely open. So the ball it's, can it's come essential into the that everyone does their job. It's essential that everyone watches the video of this stream because yeah. it will make a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that the, the point is is that Ronaldo is the first person who is making the pressing trigger. Mm. It's very important that both he makes those movements but also recognises the movements he's supposed to be making. And as soon as that breaks down, the rest of your press can can fall to pieces. Two more questions on this quickly. The first one is, is Anthony Martial been unable, as usual, I suppose, to keep fitness, but it seems that the team are a lot better with him. Why is that? And the second is Portugal seemed very, very good when Ronaldo didn't play the other day. And but presumably he he will be starting during the the tournament. Yeah. So in answer to the first question, Martial just does a lot of those roles a lot better than Ronaldo does. So right. he's a really good box presence. He's also really good at the hold up side of the game as as well. Uh, and so I think he just makes a lot more sense. He's also played. Eric Ten Hag has also played Rashford there, but the problem is that Rashford's played really nicely on the left-hand side. And so it means you're basically taking a player who's playing well on one side and, and moving them into another position. Yeah. So if Martial's free, it just gives you the flexibility to probably play your best 
front three uh, all at once. In terms of for Portugal, yeah, it looks likely that Ronaldo will be played in that game. And the interesting thing is, is that, as you said, there was a friendly game the other day that was played where Portugal looked very good yeah. without him in, in the team. And this is the reality of, of where Cristiano Ronaldo is at now, is that, yeah. is that the expectation is that he plays regardless of the fact that he will make the structure of both in and out of possession worse. Yeah. Okay. Um, Seb, the last thing we want to talk about today before we go over to two points about Manchester United appear to be for sale. Um, this I'm reading from the Athletics news story earlier earlier in the day, although I'm aware that the news has been updated. The Glazer family have instructed banks to handle the sale of Manchester United. The American owners of the Premier League club are expected to make this decision public in a statement on Tuesday, which they have done while we've been live. Here's Ooh, a couple of okay. things that they have said, Seb. The first is that Manchester United's owners, the Glazer family, say they're considering selling the club as they, quote, explore strategic alternatives. As we seek to continue building on the club's history of success, the board has authorised a thorough evaluation of strategic alternatives, said Avram and Joel Glazer. Would you like to speculate live on what strategic alternatives <laughs> means? Not hugely, but <laughs> it is an interesting moment. And it's, 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 it's interestingly timed because there are still a few questions about Manchester United's future, um, the redevelopment, renovation, whatever, of Old Trafford. The, which presumably you would expect would be expensive. Of course, and would have to be a factor in any decision like this. Also, um, what price you would attach to Manchester United, I think that's a very difficult question to answer at the moment. Um, most importantly, what kind of entity, person or group could afford that price? Yeah. Because there aren't many people who fit into that category in this world at the moment. And that list is getting shorter all the time. So yeah, it's um, yeah, it's interesting though. I mean, we're, yeah, this is pure speculation. Is. Yeah, we're, on, this is, on these my, are these are our opinions. Well, what I'm yeah. about to say is pure speculation right. on my part. But it, you know, Liverpool are also up for sale. Yeah, the Super League collapsed yeah. just over a year ago. I mean, <laughs> it's impossible. It's not a coincidence, right? I mean, like, is it possible that the owners feel maybe this is as far as they can take the club? Yeah, well, I, I would think so, just because if you look back at the, the history of the Glazers' ownership, they've never been affected by pressure in, in terms of, um, you know, disillusioned fans or protests. They, they've been completely indifferent to it or have seemed to be from the outside. Mm. So you wouldn't think this is a reaction to anything other than um, a strategic desire or an evaluation of the marketplace or a perception of what the football landscape might look like over the next 10 to 20 years or um, you know what Manchester United's valuation is likely to look like within that landscape so mm. yeah I um very strange it's not like we've been short of news to to react to today is there's it? been a lot of news there has been a lot of news but it's um yeah, I don't think that's a bad thing for Manchester United if they were to be sold no okay well there's more news now. Oh, God. It's, it's not news. Okay. It's points are bad. Ooh. And I'd like to ask you all to put your headphones back on just for a moment there. Okay. So that we can enjoy. People have said that when I wear these headphones, it makes me look like I've got a bad Bobby Charlton style comb over. <laughs> right. I don't care for that so much. No, so okay. can minimize the Minimize that in the chat. Yeah. But uh, when you put your headphones on, you should be able to momentarily hear a nice bit of music to perk us up before points are bad begins. Points are bad. Yes, and now you can take your headphones off again. Are you sufficiently perked up? Is everyone, is everyone perked up? Seb looks like Giroud with the headphones. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> Points are bald. Listen, at this... 
Well played, the chat. Yeah. Well played, the chat. I don't chat. even think that was in the chat. I, I just said it myself. You you just, we can be self-deprecating. Yeah, okay. okay. Listen. Stop someone else from saying it. <laughs> uh, points about The first thing, before we get on to points of bad, we're going to round up the podcast today. I want to say a massive thank you to Tom Hawkins, at uh, TomHawkin5 on Twitter, uh, for building us an incredible points of bad spreadsheet. It is incredible. It's awesome. Yeah. It's really made my life a lot easier. And it's going to make this section incredibly smooth, or at least as smooth as I could possibly make it. But thanks so much, Tom Hawkins. And I'd love to see some, uh, some uh, folks in the chat give Tom Hawkins a nice thumbs up. There we go. Thank you. Anyway, now we can head over to our new spreadsheet. And uh, I can tell you that uh, of the day we've just had, no one's done hugely well. <laughs> in last place this is just the day, is me. I've picked up 14 points today. That's quite a lot, isn't it? That's rather a lot. Um, is that the worst? It, it's the worst. Yeah, I'm in last place. And that is partly uh, because I predicted nil-nil for the France-Australia game, which had five goals in it. Mm. So many of my points have come from there. Just following uh, behind me on uh, 13 points added is Seb stafford Floor. That's quite a lot as well. That is bad. Really, John, really you came bad. second today. The the game is called Points of Bad Guys. Well, you have to aim to get fewer points. Yeah, you want less points, don't you? We've got to remember fewer that points. for tomorrow. Who fewer let McKenzie points. out of his box? Well, <laughs> he instructed me on what the game was called, and then he told me it was fewer instead of less. Who will you be hugging tomorrow night? I'll be hugging JJ, the winner of today, who has only added nine points, which on a normal day would be <laughs> loads. Yeah. But today is the best. So, of course, it means for tomorrow's fixtures, uh, I get to choose first. Someone in the chat also yesterday suggested a much better way of doing this, where we go through game by game instead of person by person. Yeah. Okay. So let's begin with Morocco, Croatia. And I am going to go first. And for that game, I'm going to say it will be nil Two. Next up is Seb. Morocco, Croatia. What do you think? Nil one. Nil one. Okay. And then, of course, John, you are next for Morocco, Croatia. Two one to Croatia. One two, I guess that would be. That would be one two. I can tell you that JJ has popped one one as his first request. He really knows how to cheat at this game. That's this is cheating. boring. It's not cheating. It is kind of boring, isn't it? Uh, he hasn't done that for the other game, so that's fine. Moving over to Germany, Japan is the other game in this day. Uh, I am going to say 2-1 to try to keep it tight because I've done badly so far. So I think tomorrow for me is going to be a day where I try to go for accurate predictions. Damage and see limitation if, for if you. I can bring the, if I can make the gap smaller, then I'd be very, very happy about that. Seb, Germany, Japan, what do you think? 2-0 Germany. Yes. Yeah. It is a bit smoother, isn't it? It is a bit. I will be on the Athletic oh, Live for blog for I went game. for 2-1. You're on the Athletic Live blog tomorrow? Yeah, come and see me So what, if people want to follow what your updates are on the Live blog, yep. they can do that on the Athletic? On the Athletic. Okay, have you done your homework? I shall have. Loads of it. I hope so. I included, you know, I, I did so much homework that I actually moved to Germany two years ago. That is true. That is dedication. I'm glad you've done that because it's not just like a, you know, it's not they like said a to me, TIFO live podcast no, where you can mess up as many times I as you want. I immerse myself in the culture. I go to German football matches. Yeah. I work, you know, watch German football all the time. I'm yeah. ready for the life. Have you life. ever been to Japan? No. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, have. I have. In 2001, I went to Japan. Right. To play football. Long time ago. To play football. a Japan Odyssey. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> John? Germany, uh, Japan. 3-1 to Germany. Oh, okay. He's gone for four goals there. That's exciting. And I can tell you that 3-0 is JJ's 
premiere prediction. What we do for the, by the way, for viewers, people, when the person is not here, JJ and John alternating uh, shifts every day, um, they send four options in order of preference for each game. So that if, uh, if they end up being in JJ's case, the last person to guess today, we've got some to work through. I'll let you both know that so far JJ has been able to have his first preference on both games. So mm -hmm. either uh, he's doing something wrong or we are. The but real reason that we're alternating is because we refuse to appear on the podcast together. That's JJ absolutely right. It's a contractual yeah. agreement. Yeah. And uh, speaking of contractual agreements, that doesn't make any sense. Spain versus Costa Rica. Yes. I think Spain being a little bit slept on at this tournament. Mm. I think they, I heard that on another podcast where they're better than I am. So I'm going to say that. And I'm going to say it's 3-1 in that game. That's a fairly big one for me. But Seb, what do you think? Spain, Costa Rica? I think 2-0. You Spain. think 2-0. Yeah. Okay. And John, Spain, Costa Rica? I'm going to say 4-0. Oh, that's a bit... You're going big tomorrow, John. Yeah. That's four goals predicted in two different games. Yeah. You're only with... I can tell you, you're only within three of JJ, who is in first yeah, place imagine overall. Imagine how much... I'll be within of him if I get 4-0 right. Yes, I think the gap will be bigger indeed. Uh, Spain, Costa Rica to JJ. His first request is 2-0, which is taken. We've finally ah. done something right. 1-0 uh, is the other one, and that's probably what it's going to be, isn't it? There we go. And the final game is Belgium-Canada tomorrow. Uh, my request for this, Belgium-Canada, I think will be a nice 2-0. And Seb, what do you think? I think 2-1 Belgium. 2-1, okay. John? I'm going to be ballsy and say 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. Okay. Disappointment. Cool. Oh, I've put 11. That's 11 right. all. 11 nothing. Why not? <laughs> that will really give me lots of points, which is the point of the game, right? JJ wanted 2-0 and then he wanted... This is not a joke. He wanted 2-0 and then he wanted 2-1 and then he wanted 1-1. One, one. And we've taken all of those and now he's gone for 3-0. So he gets his right. fourth preference and it is going to be right, yeah. isn't it? Okay, fine. So yeah, the final, uh, the grand total so far at the end of match day three... Uh, I am in last place, obviously. I have the greatest number of points, 24. Uh, just one point more than Seb Staffordblore in 23. John, you're on 20, and JJ's on 17. So the gaps are closable mm. as it stands. They are closable. Well-timed 4 nils, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. hope so. Someone, someone in the chat has said that I'm obviously a less slash fewer guy. And I would just like to comment that... What does that mean? That means that I, I'm, think I would true. point out when people say less and fewer. And ah, you're a whom, a whomer. So I would never say whom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, but I would... That's, point, that's I where would you draw point, your line. Yeah, whom is too far. But I think John's the kind of guy who would have a rule fewer. about not saying a word. Yeah. But yeah. usually yeah. what I do is I do it the wrong way round, the wrong way round, because I'll come on to that in a minute. To but troll the wrong people. Way round, yeah, so people will say something and I'll say few. So they'll say um, uh, less... Less love, right? I have yeah. less love for you, and I'd say you have fewer love for you. And it's a it's a funny thing, right? Everyone, you laughed. Clearly, I, funny. Yeah. Thing. But the what you need to know about the less fewer distinction. Did you say you did this on Twitter? Not Twitter. No. Oh, because you made it sound as if you you did this. No, this I did this in real it. life. It's it's a, a deeply <laughs> hilarious joke that, that a lot of my friends find really funny. Yeah. Um, by by a the, lot of your friends, do you just mean Henry? Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't think I've ever done it with Henry actually, but. Um, less and fewer is just an arbitrary distinction. Both words mean exactly the same thing. And in the 18th century, some linguists decided, well, we've got these two words that mean the same thing. We should try and make a distinction out of them. So uh, they decided that one should be countable things and other, the, the other one should mean continuous things. So I reject the less fewer distinction. So yes. glad that you asked me in the chat. Thank you for that. Well, uh, Bungalow Bill the in the chat, chat Bungalow Bill in the chat saying, you're really proving you're not a less stroke <laughs> fewer guy, John. And I couldn't agree more, hmm. Bungalow Bill. 
I couldn't agree more. I think that's the end of the podcast, isn't it? Have we, t- have we covered all the news? And all the grammar. And all the grammar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked enough about pillows. Too. Yeah. All the pillows there. All the pillows, yes. Yeah. Okay, pillows. fine. Well, maybe I can go into more depth about my uh, pillow choices another time. But until then, Seb Stafford Bloor, thank you very much. Thanking you, Joe Devine. John McKenzie, thank you. See you, Joe. Uh, thanks uh, to uh, Callum from the Athletic Hotline and uh, James Horncastle, who called in earlier. That was nice, wasn't it? Thank you, James. I'm sorry for talking over you and talking about pillows. And, of course, thanks, as usual, to uh, producers Don and Jamie doing all the hard work over there in the corner where they live. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. We'll be back uh, tomorrow with uh, JJ Bull the Bullard. And until then, uh, farewell, au revoir, uh, juice and ciao. Hmm? Ben Vindo. Mm-hmm. Hello, isn't it?